after almost a month of breaking my own back, hiking 15-mile days, at the end of the archery season for my first year, I realized that I'm probably not going to be putting an elk in the freezer. Uh, I had a couple opportunities, but unfortunately, I did not execute. So I kind of took it personally and dove into learning how to elk hunt and kind of became obsessed with learning how to elk hunt. And it was people like my buddies, my buddy's parents, even AJ, who uh, helped me learn how to elk hunt because they've been doing it for so much longer than me. And so for those of you who don't have someone right next to you or experienced hunters, which I know a lot of you don't, a lot of you reach out to me, um, we're going to give you a couple brief tips on uh, on how, how to get started and how to have an idea of how to kill an elk because there are so many things that as a beginner, you just don't even know that you don't know. But you should be doing these couple things right and that'll give you a really, really good chance at, at getting your first, your first elk. Gosh darn it. Look, I don't want to talk. How you try and press the kid and read you was soft. Oh, you know All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of Let's Assess. Today, it's me and AJ, again, bringing you some elk hunting content. Um, we are going to start back at the basics here. Um, how to get your first elk. So it's late July. Yeah, it's almost August, yep, and almost so August. a lot of you are kind of starting to be like, "Holy cow, is my setup's good? Uh, where am I going to hunt? How do I even hunt? I've gone out two years and I haven't gotten elk. I haven't seen an elk." Um, and there's so many things that uh, we're going to help you with today. So one of the first things, like we talked about in another podcast, something that can even guarantee your success more is uh, going with an outfitter. I think that's the first thing if you're completely new to it. But we want to talk to the you know, the masses of people that they don't really want or maybe they can't afford to do an outfitter. They're, they want to do it themselves. And so we're going to get into it. Uh, AJ is a very experienced guide, and I am determined to learn elk hunting so I can help with some tips as I got my first archery bull last year. And we're just going to bounce ideas off of each other and kind of make it where going into this season – you kind of have a good idea where at least where to start. Yeah. So we're going to dive into a lot more of the macro points and then break those down and, uh, you know, help you get that first kill, hopefully. So um, first off would be your preparation. Um, you want to find out where you're going to hunt and kind of nail down, you know, the unit that you're going to hunt in. Obviously, we're going to speak on elk here, so you're going to hunt elk. Um you may have been out a few times already and know the area that you want to hunt, so, or you may have already drawn your tag or you're going with an over-the-counter tag, whatever. Those are all things you have to figure out first off, you know. Get a tag. Then that that's pretty much the area where you're going to hunt. And then, whether it be e-scouting or going out and physically scouting throughout the summer, now would be a great time to be going and seeing if there's animals in the area. Um, you're going to be looking for water, and if the feed's any good, um, you know, obviously shady spots, they have to have some trees, a good thick of trees or something to get into or big ravines or something like that to shade up during the day because it's so hot right now. Um, obviously, if you're going to go scout this time of the year, you have to be aware that, you know, the very early morning and very late night is the only time they're going to be moving. They're pretty nocturnal. So when it's just hot during the days right now, they're not going to be moving. Yeah, when it's 90 plus degrees, they're not out at all. And I mean, even at night, they barely move if in the light. So you hardly ever see them. You know, morning's your best chance there for sure right now. So nail down where you're going to hunt. And then, you know, whether it's the e-scouting or physically getting out there, I'd recommend physically getting out there and finding that water. And if there's good feed in the area, you know, we had a great winter here to where there should be pretty good feed everywhere. But there's places that, you know, may have had sheep or cows or something run through and, you know, completely push them out toward they will not be there. That time of the year, you know, they're putting on some weight for winter and everything and, you know, getting into breeding. So that's, that's, you got to be, you know, looking forward to that. And what I like about scouting right now, um, I have a bum knee or else I would be scouting more, but um, what I like about it is you can now kind of decipher the bulls, you know, what's going to be a big bull, what's not going to be. My yeah. buddy just sent me pictures the other day. He was scouting and and they're start they have they're in velvet, but they're starting to look good now. Yeah, they're far enough along. You know, they they they'll put on over three inches a day. You know, after they start shedding, they they'll you know obviously rapidly increase, but they'll do about three inches a day in growth. And right now, you're starting to you know maybe start slowing that down a little bit. You know, they'll start shedding their velvet here in another month, so or month and a half, I guess. 
but you know they're they're pretty if they've got their all their tines you know you can tell if they're 6.5 point four point whatever you know that that all those big features are going to be there pretty much so um the next thing in that preparation and these are more features in the land that you're going to look for whether you're e-scouting or out there is you want to find like some saddles you know if you're in some you know mountainous terrain or even some open terrain they use that path of least resistance when they're you know doing their traveling so find the trees where they are going to have their shade or the the big drainages where they'll shade up and then try to see where they're going to walk you know if you're an animal put your put your your, your imagination in their shoes where they, you would walk if there's a nice saddle then you know most likely they're going to walk through that um, obviously you can look for game trails find their game trails and see if they're being used it's a good time during the hot of the day go walk the trails see if there is a bunch of tracks on a bunch of poop whatever you know find where they're at but you know look look for those geographic features that are going to hold those animals and use those to your benefit right um before he goes on to the next thing something that i would recommend uh that helped me a lot when it comes to preparation you i've said this over and over again youtube is such a great tool watch full hunts people watch full hunts don't just talk about it watch what these guys are doing they'll be in the cameras telling the camera like i'm gonna go over here because of this reason or we're gonna stay here because of this reason learn like be a student of that um and the other thing is is what i would say for the preparation piece um e-scouting obviously is huge if you a lot of you guys live you know in the east and you're going to come out west and hunt um so e-scouting is probably realistically your only method but there's a lot you can do on e-scouting you can look for i've seen like on onyx you can zoom in on the desktop i've seen game trails i've seen water holes obviously i've seen all that stuff and so that's a really good tool the other thing that i would say this is more for the archery guys like practice calling before two days before the season because that is such a help if you if your calls are good you know you kind of you've watched youtube tutorials on how to call for bulls how to cow call stuff like that that can be in your preparation within you know getting your gear ready is learning that stuff before you come out here and make a bad bugle and blow a bull out of there yep throw your calls in your vehicle with you in your commute to work or if you're commuting anywhere by yourself obviously you don't want to annoy anybody with you but you know have those calls in the vehicle with you and you can practice while you're driving it doesn't bug anybody doesn't hurt anything and it's a good good place to practice you know just to get the feel for it and get comfortable with it but it's kind of an art like the guys that are really good at calling they've practiced a lot and so just make sure you're not completely new to calling the first day of the season because yep. that's a recipe for a disaster yep and in that preparation too you also want to you know practice shooting obviously oh, whether yeah. it be rifle yeah. muzzleloader archery whatever make sure yourself is prepared um fitness we're going to do another podcast on actual fitness stuff so i'm not going to dive into that but being fit is a really important part of that but uh be sure you're practicing that's a, a very very big thing on being able to kill something yeah and that's something like for example for me it's okay it's july 27th so um i just had knee surgery a week ago but my bow has been to the bow shop it's got restrung we i've paper tuned um i got a new site because my other one wasn't working and i probably should have done this even a couple months ago but these next four weeks, I'm going to be shooting multiple times a week, getting everything dialed. Because what I did last year is I'm like, oh, my bow is on last year. It's It should be on this year. And and I should shoot year-round, but I haven't yet. I get so busy with everything else. And three days before the season, my arrows were kicking. And yeah. I was having a hard time hit the hitting the target. And I'm like, oh, my God. And, of course, the bow shops are like, yeah, we're three weeks out. So get that stuff dialed in now, especially the uh, especially the um, for archery and even muzzleloader. Yeah, muzzleloader sure too. I guess your, and your, rifle. Yeah, I mean all of them. Make sure you got your your scopes are on, your sights are on, your your load, whatever you're shooting, whether it be a cartridge or you know hand loading with uh, muzzleloader, whatever that may be. And like he said, there you know get ahead of it because especially there's shortages on a lot of that stuff, and make sure you have everything you need. And you're uh, you're confident in your weapon and you're you're practiced up, ready to go. Because like he's saying there, even himself, 
you know, his body, you know, gets out of, out of shape. Yeah. The bow was probably still in, you know, sighted in last year, but he wasn't sighted in and that's where, where that problem will lie. So moving into that next topic, um, you and know, before you move into the next topic, there's a ton of stuff in preparation that, I mean, we're not yep. going to get into. It would take us five hours to talk about that. But the he's talking about the X's and O's of, you know, what you should look for. But just remember, there's a ton of stuff in preparation. Like he touched on fitness. Make sure your gear's right. Make sure you think about water, food, all that stuff. That should all be thought out well before you go on a hunt. And and it's supposed to be fun don't be stressing because you didn't prepare right. So I just want to add that in. Absolutely. Yeah, we're going to hit the major points. We're not going to hit all the little bullet points. You guys are going to hit us in the comments with everything that we missed, I'm sure. Do that. That's all good. But we're just going to hit the major things for sure. Um. So the next thing is, you know, once you have your preparation, you're headed to the hunt, um, you're going to have to be able to spot the elk and hopefully be able to spot the elk during your prepping if you can physically go out and see it as well. So... Some important things on that are going to be the the very first 30 minutes of light and the last 30 minutes of light is where you're going to get most of the movement of all animals. That seems to be the prime time, especially this earlier season stuff. Obviously, once you get later in the year towards that, you know, second, third, fourth season stuff, they are moving a lot more throughout the day because it's a lot cooler. But especially in archery muzzleloader and the early rifle hunting, you are not going to have a ton of movement with as hot as it is. So that first 30 minutes and last 30 minutes is going to be a crucial time and you're going to have to make sure you are in the right place for that time to, you know, be successful. And absolutely, you know, you have to hunt until dark and you have to hike in in the dark in order for, you know, the early season stuff to be, you know, give yourself the most chance to be successful. Don't, you know, don't be like, oh, I've been out here all day. I'm just going to hike out now. And then the best time of the night, you're, you're back down at the truck or, cooking dinner or whatever but Um, that goes back to the preparation piece if you're scouting somewhere in the middle of the day there may be elk all around you but you're not going to see them because they're not moving they're bedded down in the trees and and so if you're serious about scouting you really want to see elk what he's talking about is money you have to be there especially when it's 95 degrees for the 30 minutes before and the 30 minutes well, the 30 minutes after sunrise, 30 minutes before sunset, because that's the only time you'll see them. And what's funny is, like, when I go out and ride razors and dirt bikes and stuff around here, we're in the best elk hunting, arguably the best elk hunting country in the world, or country as in, like, there's a lot of elk here. And you won't ever see anything. Like, you won't see bear. You won't see – you won't even see deer. But – you will in town, but not out there. But as soon as you, it's 30 minutes before dark and you're driving out, you see everything. And so just make sure you're doing that or you're, you're going to say that a spot is not a good place for you to hunt when you're, uh, when you're scouting it. And really there are a lot of elk there. You're just there at the wrong time. Yeah. And I've kind of ran through some of my pictures, just looking at like when statistically I've had my most success and it's the first two hours and the last two hours of, you know, hunting light. That seems to be where the most activity is, whether I'm taking pictures or actual, you know, videos of the kill shots, whatever it is. When I look back on that for the last five, six years, it is the last and the first two hours that I seem to have the most success in. And then obviously the 30 minutes is where, you know, there's that most movement. And that seems to be when I'm just scouting and looking where I'm having the most success there. But see, dude, the scouting, a lot of people, if you can go to where you're going to hunt, a lot of people yep. can't. But if you can, um, a lot of people don't take it that seriously because it's yeah. like, I'm not going to shoot an elk. Who cares? Exactly. They'll so drive then, out there at 8 in the morning and yeah. be like, oh, I'm going to spend the day out there and check it out. And it's like, or, well, you're not going to see anything. Yeah, or 10 in the morning, get there yep. at noon and drink some beers and then come home. And it's like, there's there could have been a ton of elk around you, but you weren't there at the right time, you yep, know? Have so have no clue, especially with the way the sun is right now. You know, I mean, you got to be out there, you know, 530 in the morning. God, so you got to be out there at that time. So yep. it's just, it's hard, but you got to put it, if you really want that success, you got to put in that extra effort and, you know, be ready for that. Um, another, you know, a few crucial points on spotting that first elk. These are things that I use to help me find them still to this day is, you know, find high ground. So even in your scouting and your preparation, look for, you know, little knolls or little 
um, peaks that you can get to hike to or even drive to or whatever type of hunting you're doing get to those lookouts and you know that those are the places you want to mark under gps and plan to be there at first light or last light that way you have a great viewing point and then if you see something you can make a stock from there but if you can't see them you can't you you can't make a move on them so get to that high point use that as your viewing and then uh, attack from there um obviously when you're looking you want to look for large tan spots um you're going to probably look at a bunch of dirt spots and different trees and stuff like that but if it result or if it looks anything like an elk i highly recommend looking because you never know when it is actually going to be one they look a lot like a lot of things so every yeah when it, you're looking they look like everything and it's yeah they're not even close and then you yeah. see an elk and you're like oh that's yeah. what they look like that's yeah. ridiculous what i was looking at earlier mm-hmm. but that's what you have to do in order to find it because you never know where they're going to be and that's where it's especially important to be you know looking under trees and in the shade and different colors because you know if they're in the shade they're going to be a different color tan if they're you know out in the sunshine they're going to be really bright tan so it's just it's super hard to to figure that out so kind of like train your eye looking for tan spots and then just when you're glassing find every tan spot you can and make sure it's not an elk um another thing that i've learned to pick this up from my dad was uh look for shiny objects um if the sun's kind of beating off a shiny object it very well could be an antler especially we do a lot of hunting in low sagebrush and they'll lay down in that sagebrush and all you can see is an antler tip kind of like moving through the the sagebrush when they're laying down or anything like that and you'll just catch a little glimpse of shimmer and that's that's one thing you can do in the middle of the day and sometimes see them is you'll just catch an antler shimmer and but you know it's also something you can do in that that first couple hours and last couple hours for sure look for antlers um look in the trees they're going to be coming out of trees you know kind of pick the trees apart um another thing is your hearing if you have really hard hearing or anything like that they have great um their earplugs that you, they can like make the sound better but elk hunting that's one of the best things about it is they give you, you give it away they bugle and they bugle and even walking through they're loud they I mean, are they're heavy animals yep. they're they're like horses walking you can normally if they're close to you, you can hear them yep they crash and clang and bang and yeah obviously if you're really in the area you can smell them too you know mm-hmm. use all your senses but that, that's a good point you can definitely hear them and uh you know the the bugling for sure keeping an ear out for that and even this time of the year you'll catch a bugle in the middle of the day every once in a while and stuff so definitely always have your ears on and yeah, we heard a cow call it. a couple weeks ago. Yep. We, we heard a cow call. Nice. But one thing that I want to say that he probably hasn't experienced because he grew up doing this is it takes practice to spot an elk. Like you get with some good hunters and they can pick out an elk on a hillside in, in five seconds. And, you know, it's like the classic, like, where? I don't see it. Yep. It's right there. Where? I can't see it. You know, and so the thing is, is um, like my buddy is really really good at spotting elk way better than me and one of the things that i've tried doing is instead of being like oh yeah there's elk over there finding them with your own eyes and so by the end of last well the season before i got considerably better at spotting elk and now i'm i would consider i'm good at it i'm not great at it like some people that have been doing it for way more years than i am but it's something that you kind of have to learn so when you're with people if you get the chance to be with people that are good hunters when they see an elk put your binos up and and train your eye to you to be able to see them as well yeah and it might be silly but you know obviously there's a lot of elk that are down like close to town in the hay fields and on the private property and all that but if you really haven't seen a lot of elk go out and look at them not only will it be just a cool experience for you to actually finally see the elk and everything but it gives you what they look like when you're looking through your binoculars pull your spot and scope out look and see what they look like that way you know train yourself of what they actually look like and you know i mean that's a in a hayfield that's a bad environment place for them to you know train yourself to see them but it can also you know give you more of that color scheme you know with different lighting and stuff like that so as yeah. silly as it might be just driving by and being like oh there's elk you know maybe stop and use your your uh, optics and see what it looks like and that'll just help yourself for sure yeah and one of the other things that we we're talking about is is uh on that same topic of you got to think, for example, if you're an archery hunter, you were so used to looking down your pins and seeing your your block, right? If you're a rifle hunter, you're so used to seeing your piece of paper or yep. whatever. 
And when you're putting your crosshairs or your pins on an actual animal, if oh. you've never done it, it's kind of like, that's weird. So just think about that. If you can shoot at 3D targets, that'll help. Just But just imagine like what it's going to look like and where you need to actually shoot the elk at. Yeah, it's a completely different different feeling. And uh, I, I mean, I'll go shoot. You know, last year I was prepping with a muzzleloader. And I mean, I was really really good at 100 yards comfortable at 150 yards and at 200 yards i was pretty confident i could hit if i needed to didn't want to take that shot unless i had to but i mean i was pretty confident to make that shot and then the first time when i had an elk on it at 100 yards i was like that's got to be 200 you know it just did <laughs> not seem yeah. like it could be that way and i was you know and then you got the shakes target. yeah and then you're worried yeah you're shaking you're excited everything so yeah. there's all those factors that come into play at that point but it definitely doesn't hurt to, you know, get on some 3D targets or anything like that and just, you know, if you possibly can. But otherwise, even if you do spot some animals when you're out early, it doesn't hurt to, you know, maybe pull the pins up or whatever and see see what it looks like looks for you. Looks like, you yeah. Know? Or just picture it in your head and, you know, know where to shoot. Don't shoot it in the head. Yeah, yeah. Or I wouldn't shoot it in the head of the yeah. bow. But, um, all right, so once you see the elk, you see it on a hillside and you're – too far away now what do you do now we need to stalk the elk so uh we need to put a plan together so obviously you found it you know you want to go after it you need to take a minute and make a good plan see where the elk is at be sure of where it's at and you know make sure you notice a couple different markings of where they're at and you know you really want to take in mind where are they headed are they feeding this direction are they feeding uphill are they feeding downhill is there water nearby that they might be headed to? They get a drink before they go to bed in the morning and they go to get a drink when they get up at night. And sometimes they get up and get a drink in the middle of the day as well. That's where you'll kind of catch them in the daytime, maybe during hunting season when it is that hot, very rarely. But, you know, kind of think of where they're doing, where, where they're going and what they're doing. And that will help you with your stock. Um, obviously don't take too much time in making the plan because if you take too much time, then you might, you know, lose out on the opportunity. Um, the next thing you want to check in with is what's the wind doing? Um, when we went over all the equipment before I showed that I had the wind sniffer in my, uh, vinyl harness, it's always right there. Easy access in the stock. You are going to check the wind all the time. Um, I always, you know, feel it on my face and my neck. If you feel it on your neck, you're not going to have success most likely, but you know, use that little sniffer, check the wind, be like, okay, if the wind's blowing at us, we can go straight on them. Or, you know, do we need to go up the hill and around, come back on them? That's going to be part of your plan. Make sure you know what the wind is doing, know where they're headed, and then see if you can meet them. And if for some reason the things are not adding up with, okay, they're headed this way, the wind's blowing this way, you might need to come up with another plan. It might not work for that time, but it's better not to blow them out at that moment. You might be able to, you know, wait for the wind to shift or, you know, so think those things through. Another thing you need to be prepared for is cover. You need to be able to not be seen as you're making that stock onto them. Most likely you're not going to see them, um, you know, within any sort of a range. So when you're planning that stock, look for, you know, pine trees, brush, um, hills, uh, maybe little ravines or ditches or anything like that that you can get into to get closer and use to your advantage. Um, so these are all things in that first minute, two minutes that you got to cover and then make that plan with the best you can. And with experience, that's where it's going to get better. And the more stocks you make, the better you're going to get. And the yeah, it's better, a learning curve. Yep. You're, the better you're going to get at, you know, finding it out. And I would highly recommend, even if it's an animal that you're not interested in, but it doesn't seem like, you know, maybe your morning's really not looking like it go put a stock on that animal and just see if you can get there see how close you yeah, can get it's yeah. worth it you know it might be even just be a doe or a, a cow elk or something like that but it would be worth doing a you know just a run through stock and see if you can do it take your phone take a picture there's your you know if you can get a good picture real close on your phone most likely you got close enough to do whatever you needed to so you know the thing with the stocking obviously in archery it's considerably tougher because instead of getting to 500 yards or 300 yards or wherever you feel comfortable shooting your rifle, you're having to get to like 30, 40 yards. So obviously a lot more can go wrong. Um, so, but you, the biggest thing is you need to think. You need to look, the things that I would recommend for stocking 
is is obviously wind is wind and cover was one and two most important yeah but three is think about like where where are the game trails if there's a game trail running this way like we my buddy killed a, a bull and we were gonna go up on the you know we we're gonna basically push too far and I'm like dude hold on hold on like there's a game trail coming right here he's if he's gonna come up even close to us he's gonna walk right up this game trail and sure enough he did so just things like that and every stock that you mess up which you're gonna if you're an archery hunter beginning you're gonna mess up about 10 stocks I think that's with any hunting you're gonna well, mess yeah. up a bunch of stocks you know yeah it, but uh <laughs> just learn be like what what did I mess up like for me the first couple times um was wind like you see that bull tip his head back and lick his nose yep game over so, you yep. didn't check your wind you didn't play your wind you were too aggressive um but the biggest thing is is make a plan from the high point where you can see and then execute the plan what a lot of people do and what i've done a lot of times is you get so excited you start oh god oh god oh god and then you go off the high point you know say he's on like the other side of the ravine you go off the high point and you lose the elk and you never see him yep exactly that happens all the time and you you know you'll make a plan and then you'll get down there and you do have to move your plan as you're doing it don't be afraid to do that but from that high point you have to go with what your gut's telling you like okay they're gonna head this way i'm gonna go here and that's gonna be where your failures are at and that's where you're gonna get better at judging what they're gonna do but if you vary from the plan too much if you're like oh i'm getting tired hiking i i I can shortcut this right there most likely they're not going to be there when you get there because you shortcutted your plan. When you make that plan from that high point and you see the best route or the best opportunity or the best cover, stick to it no matter what. And you will, I feel like you have a lot more success that way. Yeah. A couple other hints that I've learned from messing up. If you're on the back of an elk, like they're walking this way and you're trying to stalk them, you're never going to keep you up with them. You'll never catch them. Nope. Like, it's like, oh, they're not moving that fast, but it's yeah. like, you're going to have to be moving too fast. They're going to hear you. If you're on the wrong side of the wind. Um, The other thing is, is don't be afraid to actually be considerably more patient than you think. Because if everything's going right, they don't know you're there. So don't feel like, oh, God, they know I'm here. I better kill them before they see me. It's like just be patient. There's times to be patient. There's times to be aggressive. And you'll learn that as you go. But I, I think as a beginner hunter, I was too aggressive like all the time. You know, he, he's walking here. Oh, God, I better sprint down there. And, you know, and then he sees you and the wind changes and you're screwed. Um, but these animals, their job is to stay alive. That is their full-time job. They are CEOs of staying alive. Yep. They're being hunted 100% of the time. And so if you think you're going to go into their territory and just run up to them and shoot them, you are, you've obviously never elk hunted. So be patient. That's something that I wish I would have known earlier. Yep. And, and you know, be a calm. Of Take things. a breath for God's sake. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Be calm about it. If you're nervous, they're nervous, you know, and you can't, you know, that running into them and stuff like that, like that's, that's just not going to, even if you were to meet up with them at some point, cause you're both running the same point, you aren't going to be able to get a good shot or a, you know, a, a clean shot for sure. So it's best to go in and have them have no idea you're there. Yeah. Um, well, and the other thing I forgot to say this. The other thing with archery, think about it. Your biggest advantage to archery hunting is being able to call them in. Yes. So if they're coming into you, you have a very big advantage. So sometimes instead of pushing and pushing and pushing, like for example, when I killed my bull last year, he wouldn't come. So I had to like had to get within to sixty yards to get yeah to get close enough to him. But if they're in prime rut, get cover where and find your shooting lanes and call him into you. And yep. that's the best way to do it because then that elk is like naturally moving. And you know what I mean? And you're yep. not, you know, moving, you're not wrestling the, you don't get caught, dude. How many times, well, I don't know, you don't archery hunt as much, but I have been caught by cows so many times. Yep. Like no, that's you're the, coming that's, in, you yep. see the bull and you're like walking, creeping, walking, and then he looks at you and then you stop. Yep. Well, and, that's, and you always get eyed by a cow. That time of the year, that bull could care less if you were a human, a Sasquatch, a wolf. It don't matter. He has one thing on his mind. Those cows, though, 
Yeah. They care. Those are the ones that are going to bust you. And, and they blow the bulls th- You'll hear them bark. They, you know, they got to bark. And you'll, when you hear it, you'll know. <laughs> Most of you may know already. <laughs> but you hear that bark, and you know it's over. You're done. But because, because when the when the cows go out, the, the bulls bull go goes out. with. Yep, yep, they chase right after. And that's, they're always the ones that catch you, man. I swear. They, I swear it's always the cows a cow. catch you. Yep, and that's be patient. And when you're making that stock, if the cows catch you, just sit down nice and easy and it might take 15 20 minutes and they they will lock on you and you might not be able to move for 15 20 minutes but i mean i've stood crouched like this you know for 15 20 minutes easy and i mean you can't flinch you can't move you can't wiggle your eyes you can't pull your binoculars up to see but you just have to hold still and then once they go back to feeding then you can pursue your your stock but you are going to get pinned down and you are going to have to go through that but if you want that, if you don't want to blow them out and you want success, you really have to, you know, dig in that moment and just hold still. And then you can get that hunt back into your favor if you, you can get them to simmer down, calm down, whatever. Um, yeah, something that I found to be to be more crucial than I originally thought when I was starting to, like, learn how to stock was kind of like I touched on, all that I would look at is the bull. Yep. And once I got better at stocking and stocks would start to actually work out was two things, patience. And I was probably five times more aware of my surroundings. I was aware of shooting lanes. I was aware of cows. I was aware of deer. I was aware of everything. So that way I'm not going to run right up on a cow when I'm just staring at the bull. Cause let's face it, when you're beginning, you see a bull and you're just, insanely excited and you just blow them out because you just got to sit back and think that I cannot blow anything out of here or else I'm going to be seen. And so with archery, patience, shooting lanes and trying to get them to come into you is, is definitely, do we, I mean, God, we could shoot a whole podcast just on, on putting a stock on an elk. I mean, there's so much to know. There's so much to know. And that's, you're going to, you know, as you're making that stock, you're going to stop regularly. You're going to be patient in the stock. You're going to be moving slow. You're going to be sneaking behind your cover, everything. And you just want to stop regularly, check the wind, check and see if you can see them and make sure they haven't moved. And obviously, just like I was saying, you want to check and make sure they haven't smelled you or seen you to where they're pinning you down. Um, another thing in that situation, you want to be like Brent was saying there, you have to be observant of everything around you. Last year, I had a situation where I was moving down on some elk with some hunters and some mule deer were, were bedded in the sagebrush that we couldn't see. Those mule deer blew down the draw then and scared the elk out or got them all nervous. They knew something was there, but they didn't know we were there. We were able to get on them later down the draw, but it took us that much longer to make that move because those mule deer, you know, got them spooked and scared. So uh, outside factors are something you have to be aware of and ready to deal with. It could be a coyote. It could be a skunk. It could be, you know, a sage a chicken, bear. a bear, you know, for me, it was a coyotes. bear last year. Exactly. All those things you have to be very aware of in your stock and know that they might change your plan. And, you know, you have to be ready to change accordingly. Um, but be sure as you're making that stock, you're checking that wind and checking the animals to make sure you can see them and, or they can't see you and you know that they're still where they're at. Um, other, another thing is people, they move too fast, you know, they'll patience, they, man. You, you got all these tips that it. you're talking about in my it's head. It's patience. like patience, patience, yes. patience. Yep. You just got to think that as you're stalking, just Keep telling yourself patience, patience, patience. Well, know? to put into perspective, my, and I was telling him this, the stock that I put on my elk that I killed, who never knew I was there, took two and a half hours, two and a half hours to get to 60 yards. Yep. But if it would have taken, if I would have gone in at two, I would have blown him out. Yep. You just have to go in at the right time and you have to just not be seen, not be smelled, not be heard. Which yep. is way easier said than done. Exactly. But that's that's the fun of it. That's why we do it. Yep. And then in your stock, now we're going to transition from the stock to actually shooting the elk now. Okay, so, so before you get fully into it, when when you're hunting with hunters, when do you say like, all right, it's time to shoot? Um, obviously, so if I'm with a hunter and it, say I'm archery hunting and they say, okay, my, I, I got to be at 50 yards or closer so you asked so, before I, I know before yep. a guide. Yeah. always with your friends even be but when you're driving out there getting ready you know be like what are you comfortable doing 
It may be a rifle. Okay, it's got to be within 400 yards or muzzle or within 100 yards, whatever it may be. Make sure that everybody's involved, knows where you need to get to. And then if it gets to the point where you're getting that close, when you're within 100 yards and you got three or four guys with you, that's to the point where you say, hey, you guys stay here. I'm going in by myself. You guys can sit back and watch, enjoy whatever, but I'm going in by myself. Um, as a guide, you don't love sending somebody in by themselves, but I've definitely had their their people stay back if they have um, anybody with them. Hey, you guys got to hang back, stay here, hunker down, and you can watch. And then I'll take the hunter in myself, or there's been times even with archery hunters where I have to say, hey, it's getting too risky. I can't go with you. You know what you need to do from here. You got to gain 10 more yards or whatever to get, you know, if there's too much open ground, I have to send them in alone, you know, to, to cover that extra distance. Um, so know the, the point is, and what I was getting at by asking that question is know where you're comfortable shooting from. Yes, absolutely. Know, know where that. you're comfortable. Um, before I dive into this next exact thing, I'm going to give a little tip that has worked for me countless times. Let's say, and this is evening hunts. This isn't much for mornings, but it, it the same time of day happens in the morning and it can work there, but it's really hard to execute in the morning. The last 10, 15 minutes of light, you all know when you're driving down the road and animals jump out in front of you and you can't see them very good because your eyes are changing to that light. It's really hard to see that time of the night. Animals have that same problem. So say you are 150 yards, but you need to get to 100 yards to make a shot happen, or you're at 100 yards, you need to get to 50 yards to make that shot happen. Whatever the distance may be, you wait at that point where you are, I, if I move anymore, I'm going to get busted. You know for a fact. And what you do is you wait for that last 10, 15 minutes of light. And you'll know when it's time because they kind of are like, they're very alert and they know. And you walk straight towards them. And I mean, you <laughs> beeline at them. I've done this with rifle hunters, muzzleloader hunters. I've never done it with archery, but I'm sure you could do the same thing if you could get drawn and, you know, the shot off fast enough. But I'll have the shooting sticks on the gun and you hold the shooting sticks as you walk and you walk directly towards them. And I mean, you just go straight at them and they'll all stare at you, but that's all they'll do. They will stare at you and they won't move anything like that. And you just, you got to get to where you can get set down and get that shot off as fast as possible. But you, it is very doable. They give you enough time to do that. If you can't close that coverage fast enough. Hmm. The next thing on that same topic is, you know, transitioning the, the stock to the, the shot itself. When you're stalking and you're using that cover to get there, never stop behind something. Everybody thinks I got to stay behind a tree. I got to stay behind a bush so they don't see me. But if you're behind a tree or a bush, you can't get a shot. It doesn't matter if mm -hmm. they're, you know, if they lock on you and you're behind a tree, well, then you're not going to get a shot either way. You know, but see, the biggest so, thing for me, my experience, and maybe it's not yours, but it's not like seeing, especially like, you know, when it, the sun's starting to go down yeah. or the sun's starting to come up. It's not that they, well, I mean, it's the same thing when you're trying to find them. It's not that they see you, it's they see your movement. They see a movement. So exactly. getting in front of that tree and just wearing Sitka, yeah. not Kuyu. No, <laughs> oh, I'm kidding. Shoot. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> um Getting in front of that tree and just being still. Yes. You know? Right wind and no movement. And to, if you have to, you know, if you're using this tree to get to them and you're, you know, 50 yards from whatever or even closer and you get behind the tree and they're right there, you know, get down on your hands and knees and crawl around that tree very slowly. Whatever you need to do to get to that front to get that shot. But you cannot do anything from the back. And that's why it's very important. Like if you know they're going to maybe feed towards you or anything like that, set up your opportunity before. Get sat in front of that tree and let them come to you. That's, you know, make sure your wind's right. Make sure you got, you know, everything checked for. But if you can get in front of a tree and get sat down and not move and let them come to you, that's going to be your best thing. Or sometimes like earlier when I said, you know, wait, get for them in a saddle. You know they're going to travel through that saddle. Get set up on the other side, sat down, hunkered down, and wait for them to come to you through that saddle. Um, but just be sure and think as you're stalking, I'm not going to stop here behind this tree because I can't get a shot. Make sure you always can get a shot if need be because you never know when that opportunity is going to arise. So 
set yourself up for that success. Something I would say on the archery side of things that you need to be thinking about. Um, we, me and my buddy call it getting caught with your beep in your hand <laughs> yeah, is when yeah. <laughs> either you're trying to go from cover to cover and they see you and you just have to stop. That's not a great thing. Or, you know, you, you got to think about when you're bow hunting, you have to draw the bow back, right? Yep. And so they're going to, if they're at 10 yards and you're not drawn back, that can be a problem. Yep. And so know when they're coming in, I need to draw back and I need to sit here. I've ranged that tree. I've ranged that tree. I've ranged that tree. And I know my, my yardage here. Or if you have a buddy with you, it's great to put them behind you, have them call. And then when that bull comes in, if it's not sprinting at you, he can say, you know, 30, 25, 20. And then you, it's just one less thing that you have to do. Um, but make sure you're getting that you draw back ideally before the elk is staring right at you one foot away from your face. But the other thing is, is if you have to draw back it, you can draw back a lot of the times they, a lot of people think like, Oh, I can't draw. I can't draw. I can't draw. And until the elk like gets away from them and they don't have a shot. But a lot of times if you draw back when they're even looking at you, you'll have enough time to get a shot. You can't sit there and like, take 10 minutes but if you draw back and shoot them like say they're 10 20 yards away and you know you're just using your first pin pull back right with their eyes in front of you and just pop them and most of the time you'll have that but you'll see a lot of people like i say i call it getting stuck with their (laughs) beep in their hand when like they're frozen up they're not drawn back the elk's too close they think they can't move and then when that elk you know, turns this way. Now you don't have a broadside or a frontal shot. You're shooting at the butt and, or he goes into the trees. And so just make sure, think about that. And it's so hard when you first start archery hunting. Cause I couldn't, my brain would just be like, Oh my God, Oh my God, Oh my God, Oh my God. But if you can just go, okay, take a breath. He's going to come right here. I mean, talk, I almost talk to myself in my head. I'm like, just take a breath. Ding dong. Yep. Just, he's going to come right out here. He's going to be broadside. Just pull back and feel that, you know, squeeze that trigger and let your front, you know, get that pressure and let your bow fall forward. Think about the X's and O's of that instead of just like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. But that's the fun part of hunting. If it didn't get you going, then stay home because it's a lot of work and it's a lot of challenging, emotionally draining business. And the same goes for if you're using, you know, a, a gun as well. Make sure your shooting sticks are at the the length that you need them to be, whether you're going to be shooting, kneeling, sitting, whatever, you know, you're hoping to get the shot off, depending upon your cover and all that that you're in. If you're in sagebrush, you're probably not going to be laying down, obviously. But make sure you have your bipod out or have your your shooting sticks out, whatever it's going to be. If you think there's going to be a chance of maybe shooting from this spot, get set up. It doesn't get a matter. bullet in. Yeah, have a have a bullet in, have your safety on, whatever. I did you that know, one time. Be be prepared. You know, same with, you know, just like the archery, it's the same with a gun. Make sure you can actually get a shot if they come in because if you have to set your shooting sticks up, put the bullet in. You're making you know, noise. You're making you're noise moving. and you're moving. And the biggest yep. thing is you're moving. You know, you have to minimize that. So get to a spot, set up, and then, you know, you know that's obviously best case scenario. You're in a spot set up and they come to you. But make sure you are prepared for when, when that transition from the stock to the shot, you know, happens. And it's, it, there's a lot that happens right at that moment. And yeah. It and it's fast. happening. Yeah. And those are the most important things that you have to hit right then. And that's where the timing is key. You know, that he was saying there. So, I think a lot of the things that we just said are for beginners. I think there's a lot of value there. Oh yeah. Because I mean, dude, if I would have known some of this stuff, yep. like when I had my first encounter, my first encounter was a shit show. Yep. It was like bull there. I'm not drawn back. I'm behind a tree. Yep. Oh, just yeah. Completely like every mistake that I've told, you know, in this podcast not to do, I did. Every oh, single one. Everybody does it. And you're yeah. going to do it too. You're, you, that's your, your success and your failures there. But listening to what we just said on that, you know, within the stock and then the transition to shooting. Those are all things that we have learned through failure. And those are things that are going to help you. And you're going to be out there and you're going to notice it for sure. And picture it. That, that's why I was saying 
I know I've said this too many times, but it's like if you watch these full hunts on YouTube, you can kind of see what we're talking about. These guys are like, you know, the bull's going to come out here. You know, it's bugling, bugling. They draw back. Look when they draw back. Because those guys, a lot of them, like the Go Hunt guys and uh, Cameron Haynes and all of them, they know what they're doing. They've done it a time or two. You might have not. So watch what they're doing because that can help you a lot. And with archery hunting, speaking on archery hunting, that's the fun part. But that is the toughest part. Like for me getting from every single 10 yards that you get in closer is like gets exponentially more crucial and harder to not be seen. And so that from the mark from like, I would say 80 to 60 is really tough. And then 60 to 40 is insanely tough. And then getting a shot closer than that, unless they're just rutted up flying into you. It's pretty tough, but just think about it. Watch the YouTube videos and think about what's going to happen. When you think about something, at least for my brain, and I'm thinking about the X's and O's of, I need to be here, I need to do this, I need to shoot him here, that will relieve some of the adrenaline because you don't want so much excitement that you're shaken and you've just completely lost your head. But that also is kind of fun when you do, when that hey, happens. That's, that's going to happen, you know. <laughs> yeah. That's going to happen. That's part of it. But think so, about it. Just yep. think about it and be prepared for that. Yep. And don't forget the patience. Don't rush your shot. Yep. So, so. after the shot. Yep. So, well, now we're going to get into the shot, you know. So you patient with your shot. Be sure and execute everything that you've practiced. Okay. You made the shot. You hit the animal. And, you know, you might you might need to make another shot, a follow-up shot, whatever like that may be. An archery, you're going to have to, you know, most likely you're not going to get a second shot unless they are really moving slow and hurting. You might get a second shot. But in a muzzleloader or a rifle, you know, say, I'm just going to use this for an example. We're going to shoot it at 100 yards. They, and they tend to run off, right, as they get hit. They always do. And They'll run about another 100 yards, and they'll stop and they'll look back mm-hmm. and make sure you are ready to make that shot again. I mean, as soon as you get that first shot, you need to get reloaded, whatever you need to do to get that next shot off if they give you that opportunity. Now, in that opportunity, if you're shooting a bull elk, you have to be especially careful because those cows, their job is to protect that bull at that moment in that year or at that time of the year. So those cows will swarm that bull usually and if you go to make that second shot, you got to make sure you are actually hitting the bull and make sure the bull is not, you know, doesn't have cows in front of it, cows behind it. I've seen that a lot of times people, you know, oh, he's still standing, shoot again. Well, there's a cow behind it. And now you have two dead animals. Now you're calling the game warden and going to have a situation. So be sure on that shot that you're ready for that second shot and that you can, you know, make that shot safely and ethically. But before that, and hopefully you don't have to take another shot, hopefully it yes. just drops it, be ethical. Don't be a dipshit like half the people out here where they're they're comfortable shooting a bow at 50 or 40 and they're slinging an arrow 120. Don't be that guy. That's unfair. You're going to hit the animal. You're not going to kill the animal, and you're going to wound it. If you're comfortable at, you know, shooting a, a rifle at 600 yards and he's at 1,600, like I just don't believe in that. Be ethical kill the animal fast, you know, I, I'm i a big advocate of, like, if you can't kill it fast, then you shouldn't be shooting it. Yep, and think about your shot, you know. Even before that first shot, make sure there's no other animals, you know, in front of it, behind it, anything mm-hmm. like that. Or and, a human. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, anything. And, you know, also, just like Brent was saying there, make sure that, you know, you can get a good ethical shot on it, you know. I mean, a lot of people are pulling a 55-pound, you know, pull on their bow or something and at a hundred yards it doesn't have a lot of knockdown or anything like no. that you know unless I mean, you per you know yeah put yeah. it perfectly in it yep so i mean and but dude even ribs like, get in the way <laughs> yeah unfortunately but that's the thing dude is with those elk you know my first year i shot and i'm not proud to say this i shot two elk up close and didn't kill it because i was like two inches high yep you know yep. that gray zone the no man's land yeah yep. and, absolutely and you stick them and they're not dead. They're not bleeding very much, and they'll live and be fine. But make sure you know where to shoot it and uh, practice it. Practice, practice, practice. If you're dialed to 40, shoot at 40. Don't be a scumbag. Yep, absolutely. 
to only do what you're comfortable and don't push it when you're out there. Because if you're not comfortable with the range, you definitely will not be successful successful in the field. Yeah, I just um, think you need to be ethical. But anyway, most important. So once you shoot it, so we got the elk shot. He's on the ground, um, or maybe not even on the ground. This is another thing, especially bow, muzzle loader, rifle, not as much, but definitely patience again. Mm-hmm. Don't run up on the animal. Give them time to die. You know, it's, <laughs> that sounds yeah, so that bad. Sounds but awful, so but true. that's what you have to do. Yep. If you don't give them time to actually die, then you're just going to keep bumping them and pushing them. Even if you gut shot them, they will die. You might have to leave it all night. I know that's the worst thing mm-hmm. for a hunter to have to do, but sometimes... If you just keep bumping them, you will never catch up to them. They're on their adrenaline, and they are gone. So we're going to kind of talk about the scenarios of losing an elk. Um, first off, give them an hour. Give them 30 minutes, whatever. You know, you After you make the shot, you have a pretty good feeling of if you made a good shot or a bad shot, and you know in your gut whether you should If you, you, sh- if you them, shot enough, yep, you should know. Yep, you should know whether you need to give them how much time. So think about that. Be sure and err on the side of patience on that. It's the hardest thing to do in the slowest time, but be sure and do that. Now, say you do that, and, man, we're tracking blood. It's not looking good. When they get shot, they feel hot, and they go for water, and they always go downhill. If they're going uphill, they're probably not injured bad enough. You know, you yeah. probably hit that no man's land That's or true. brisket or anything like that. If they're going uphill, it's probably not the best hit. Obviously, you need to be ethical and you need to follow up and do the best you can to either get that animal again or whatever possible, track that blood. But they generally, if they're hit and they're hit good or decent, they're going to go downhill and they're going to search out water. So use those things, you know, to, uh, you know, hopefully find your animal if you do make a shot on them. Look for blood. Now, it's hard to look for blood and be sure you have good flashlight to find that blood, have flagging tape, whatever, to mark the last blood, mark it on your GPS, whatever you need to do to know where that's at. And those are all things that are going to help you be successful on finding an animal that may not be hit well. Um, I guess that's kind of it on that point. Yeah, I think a lot of it is, for me, you know, speaking on my experiences, I would hit elk wrong because I would be just too pumped up and not patient if you don't have a good shot especially with archery don't shoot them like it may present another opportunity in 30 seconds to have a broadside shot instead of just launching one at its butt cheek and then you don't kill it and you blew it out of there so you don't have a chance yeah be patient and it's it's just one of those things that like i it's so there's something that's so crazy about having an animal that close to you but you have to just like find a way to calm yourself down and not be shaking and everything like that. Cause you got to think a rifle, you're on shooting sticks. It's you're on a pack. You're kind of somewhat anchored to something with a bow. I mean, your shakes really kill you. And if you're shaking a centimeter either way at 40 yards, your arrow is not going to hit where it should in order to kill it fast. So just prepare, calm yourself down, and just run yourself through a lot of these scenarios in your head on what's going to happen. And, and that way, when you do have that encounter, you've kind of thought this out. Yep. So, and now so, to field dress elk. We'll, we'll, we'll end on field dressing the elk. Yeah. Yeah. So now we're, we're going to, you know, we walk up, we got the elk. A lot of people kind of get too excited. They're emotional about it and everything, and they forget to take pictures. Oh, yeah. If you got a buddy with you, make sure they take a couple pictures of a you. A lot and of you pictures. You can never take enough pictures. Yep. Take a ton because mm-hmm. majority of the time they all suck. So yeah. well, do different poses. Do different. We, we're going to get into that in another episode of, you know, how to take good pictures of animals and stuff. And yeah. Brent's going to be, you know, hopefully have some more angles and stuff on that. But take the time. Take the pictures. Take all the images that you want, video, whatever that may be. I had a hunter last year that they wanted, as we walked up, taking a video of, I took a video of them walking up together to, you know, you know, show their emotions and everything. And they, they absolutely love that. And I'm sure they'll watch that video for many years to come now. Yep. Take the time to do that stuff. It matters. That's what you're going to remember and what you can show off. So do the pictures and then um, get into the field dressing. So we're a couple things here. If you've never field dressed before, Try to have somebody there that has. If that's not possible, 
have a YouTube video saved or I have did that. Some I downloaded a YouTube yep. video. Download yeah. a video so you know what you have to do but if Tony you knows. you know need to. Um, if you're not technology savvy, have a manual. They make books, and you know you can read how to do this with diagrams and pictures. Have some sort of form to know how to take care of this animal. That's the most important thing. Don't kill something and then let it rot. Yeah, that's what um, he is. There's a few different options you can do. There's the no gut method. So if you're going to have to pack this animal out on your back, this is a great option. It saves you a lot of time and a lot more, you know, in that moment, saving your back is crucial. What you're going to do is you're going to skin the animal. You're going to take the quarters off. You're going to take the back straps off. You can take neck meat. You can get all that stuff off. And how you can do that is one side at a time. That way you do front and rear shoulder and back strap. And you take the hide off that side and the other side still has the hide on so you don't get the meat dirty. Um, you hang the stuff in trees or lay it in bushes, whatever, keep it as clean Have as possible. Game bags. Put it in your game bags, whatever, to keep it clean. But do one side at a time, and then you roll that carcass onto that side, and then you can do the other side. And then in that no-gut method, once you get everything off, you can actually reach in under the rib bones, the upper rib bones behind the spine, and you just use your hand, and you can feel the loin up there, and you can just rub your fingers and actually get that loin to cut out with just your hand. You don't need a knife to get it out. Sometimes you can weasel a knife in there to hack a little bit if you need to, but you can definitely get everything out doing the no gut method. Is that if, what you do is the no gut? Um, depending upon the time, you know, I mean, every situation is different. My favorite way is uh, to gut it and winch it into the back of a truck. Yeah. But, um, I don't have that option. If, if I'm having to pack it out, no gut is absolutely the way I go to for sure. You know, that's my, my go-to not have to, you know, that saves you 30 minutes and, a I figured it'd be kind of tough to get the. We normally gut them, but it, but we don't. I mean, we're packing it out quarters. But yeah. I'm su- I'm surprised it's that easy to get the loins out if all the stuff's still in there. Yeah, it's it's actually quite easy. You just kind of make a slit in that upper rib where they're at there, and you can just get your hand in there and just start working it. And those loins are bare, they're not held in there with any uh you know Cart- tendons cartilage. or cartilage or anything like that. And you can just keeps you know rubbing it with your hand and you can just you know work it completely off the hmm. out of there and get it out real good and perfect you know real good shape um the other option is obviously gut it and then you can you know winch it into the back of the truck or you can quarter it out and you can get that stuff whatever you need to um the other way is um and that would be just like you cut it up pack it out whatever um some other methods may be to shoot. It's kind of hard to hard to explain, but like if you're caught in a situation where you're gonna have to leave it overnight and you're not gonna be able to get it all out, and you don't, you're you wore out, you're tired, you can't get it all cut up and like hanging in a tree or anything like that. Get it gutted and get it spread open with sticks to give that chest cavity open and time to air out and cool down. That's your biggest thing is get it cooled down as fast as possible. And think of that when you're in this method, you know, whether it's the no gut or, you know, um, gutting it, whatever's going to be the fastest method for you to get it cooling, do that. I'm very good at the no gut and getting it cooling down. So that's the way I go. But if you've never done it before and this is your first time, that's probably not the option you want to go with. Um, do whatever you can to keep them from, from getting too hot and, uh, molding or you know flies on it all that stuff you, you know don't let that happen yeah and so. in my experience it, the better well obviously it's everyone's experience but the better you take care of that meat after you kill it the better it's going to taste absolutely if you don't like a gamey taste and take good care of the meat yep that's 100 percent it so and that's now why that, most of us hunt yeah so eat it eat aj it. Ah, yeah you <laughs> guys uh, not my favorite thing eating wild game but i do um so now you got it gutted you're quartered now you got to pack it out or, you know, you're in the truck and you got to go do the skinning and all that, whatever it may be. I'm not going to dive into that too much because most people are going to be packing. But pack it out to the truck, get it there, get it on ice, cool down. Um, the pack is going to be the brutal part. That Ugh. stuff is heavy. And way you, heavy. if you're way back there, take the time to debone it, you know. Um, a lot of people leave the, the hoof on and stuff like that. Cut that off. It's just extra weight. You can find that joint and get it off there. Um, anything you can do to lighten it, do it. And if you are going a long ways, definitely just debone it. It doesn't take that much longer um, to do that. And if that's something that if you are hiking way back into somewhere, have a video saved on your phone or something of how to how to do that, how to debone properly. 
and that'll uh, that'll save you some some weight on the way out. Get rid of that bone. Have paracord in your pack. Absolutely. If, if it doesn't have like a meat shelf or anything, have paracord. Get it where what you'll feel with these quarters. They're so heavy when you're walking rough terrain. They'll move. With yeah, you. they're boof, 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 and that just kills you. That it fatigues you way faster on like a five or six mile pack out. So make sure that quarter is completely as tight as possible onto your back. Yep. Um, in a game bag, preferably tight. not. Yep. Yeah, like not. Um, not bleeding all over. Bleeding yeah. all over, or like getting dirty and hairy from yep. the elk and all that stuff. Absolutely. Nope. Those are crucial things. Keep that pack tight. Make sure your pack is adjusted to you, and uh, enjoy the, the pain. Yeah. Enjoy it. And uh, get it on ice or a refrigerator or something as soon as you get down because yep. meat spoils a lot faster than you think. It really does. Especially yep. when it's hot. Like well, in archery season, it was 90 degrees. When you're packing out, you know, I mean, you pack the first set of quarters out or something, and then it's going to be another couple hours before you get back to the truck. So make sure you have coolers and everything prepped for that to take care of it if you are successful. Especially um, if you have to go in and get the next quarter. Yes. So then absolutely. you're an hour out. Hour, hour in, yeah. hour out, and it's yep. all that stuff. Don't leave it in the sun. Yep. And, and don't make sure leave it it's in the trash shade. Bag. Don't put it in a trash bag in there. Leave it sweating. Don't put it in the back of your truck on the bed, you know. Mm -hmm. And then that's another thing to be be aware of when you are driving. You know, once you get it all down and you're driving out of there, don't put it on top of the side where the exhaust runs. And this is especially if you're going to mount this animal and you have the cape. Um, that's what I was going to say. Do not put it somewhere it's going to get hot. That high, that hair will slip on that cape if it gets hot. So you have to take care of that cape just even way more than the meat. Be very careful with that cape. Get it on ice. Get it away from the heat. And definitely don't wrap it in a trash bag and put it on top of the exhaust side of your truck to take it to the taxidermist or whatever. What I was going to say, what I forgot to do, rookie move, was I decided to do a shoulder mount on my elk this year. It's still not back, but... Um, I cut it off right at the head, so there's no cape. Uh, so then you have to get a, you have to have them get a basically a false cape that didn't really come off your elk, obviously. And don't do that if you're gonna plan on shoulder mounting. For me, I'm always gonna take the cape with me now because yep. it's worth it. Yeah, it's like have I don't know if freezer. I'm gonna use it. Yeah, I don't know if I'm gonna you know have a shoulder mount done or not. Um, but I'm always gonna take it and just in case yep. instead of like leaving it and then wanting it. Absolutely, and that's. Before you go out there, you never know if you're going to kill them big enough that you want them out. Make sure you have some diagrams saved on your phone. There's pictures of how to do it, videos how to do it, how to cape it properly for the taxidermist. Yep. You don't got to worry about having it perfect and clean. They can sew and they can do a lot, and they're all going to hate me for saying that, but they can do a lot with it. <laughs> but be sure you know where to cut because that's crucial that they can sew it in the places they need to and not you know, have foam showing and stuff like that or did they just they have to get a different cape that'll save you some money yeah that's rookie so. move oh, well i didn't think i was gonna mount one until yep. and then i'm like you know what i think okay. i want to mount this one and then it was just yeah forgot to do it and it's always best to do the work then and not you know if you don't use it you don't use it that's great mm -hmm. you can always you know throw it away or get rid of it later yep well now that you got an elk you gotta cook the thing so here's a couple things that you know are my favorite things right after a kill to do. Um, obviously, back straps and loins are the first things I go for. So I love the loins, cutting them real thin, um, seasoning them, and slicing them, and grilling. Or you grill it in the the loin itself, and then you slice it afterwards. That way you can cook it kind of, kind of pretty rareish. Other, I think that's where elk's the best, pretty rare. So you know, cook the loin, season it nice. Um, smoker grills, grill, whatever, over the fire. Over the fire. Anyway. Under the stars. Is, is the, the best. best. Yeah. So and then you slice it, and then you have a small piece of bread, um, you know, a dried piece of bread or something like that. You put that on that, put a little feta cheese on top or any type of cheese you kind of really like, and then a little garnish on top, you know, a little, uh, I can't remember the name of the green stuff that they, something a little bitter or something like that goes really good with it. So I like it just plain with like, uh, steak seasoning, like well, spade L steak seasoning, or another good recipe. I don't want to get too far into this. We ought to do a full podcast on this. Yep. Um, one way that I really like it is country fried. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah dude. Tony makes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good stuff. Oh, yeah. And huh. and then when you're taking care of the meat, if you uh, take it to a place or if you do it yourself, something that I recommend that my buddy's grandparents do that is 
a game changer is run it through a tenderizer like three times. Yeah. I yep. mean, it is so tender. Like any cut of the steak off yeah. the elk is really good. Yep. So definitely. Well, and that's just like you said there. Another, you know, way that I like to cook it is just like steak tips. If you don't have all the other fixings, if you're not in a camp or anything like that, just grill it up, slice it, season it, and mm-hmm. eat it just like that and enjoy it fresh. Cause Dude, it, yeah. that's the best it is right there. Mm-hmm. So God, I'm you're getting yeah. me. A little tuned up for hunting season there, AJ. Yeah, I'm ready, man. That's the best part right there, eating that yeah. fresh, fresh off it. So, well, guys, I hope that helps you. I think there's some really, really good stuff in there, yeah. especially in the spotting and the stalking and the shooting. Um, you may have to listen to that a couple times to get it all because we were kind of bouncing through there. But there's some great information in there from us that have learned some stuff. Um, thank you for listening. Love you guys, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Great job. Great job. All right. Love you. Peace out. Bye.